If you would, take your Bibles with me. And let's go ahead and head over to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. We are picking back up in our series on spiritual gifts. We're calling it the gifts in the body. Romans chapter 12. And the reason why we're calling it the gifts in the body is because we need to give uh, some much needed clarification and credence to the importance of spiritual gifts in the body. But we also need to give important consideration to the body of Christ as well and our unified whole that we are, though we may be diverse in our members. Um, so we want to start here in verse three, and we're going to read through verse eight. I want to show you a few things about how to help sort through the passage. Hopefully this will give you some clarification and clear up any confusion that you might be experiencing. Um, notice it says in verse three, for through the grace given to me. I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. We are to think soberly. We're to think um, cleanly. Maybe that helps trigger something in our minds uh, about how we're supposed to uh, view ourselves within the body of Christ, not puffing ourselves up to be more than what we are, not tearing ourselves down and having pity parties and uh, looking for self-loathing and those types of things. Instead, we're to think of ourselves honestly, and we're supposed to discern ourselves according to the word of God. The word of God is true. Uh, our heart is deceitfully wicked and will lead us into all kinds of problems. We're not to trust it whatsoever. We can only trust it as far as it banks itself upon the certainty of the word of God. Now, notice that God has allotted to each a measure of faith. I believe that to be speaking of spiritual gifts and what we're to be exercised in. It says here, verse 4, for just as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. Toes, pinky toes, big toes, thumbs, noses, whatever have you, they don't all have the same function. They don't all accomplish the same thing, but they need to be doing what they were designed to do and what they were geared to do in order for the body as a whole to be effective, uh, to be nimble, uh, to be ready to respond and react properly. All of that has to be in play. He says here in verse 5, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. That means that we're brothers and sisters. We're all interconnected. When one part of the body hurts, we should all hurt. When one part of the body rejoices, we should all rejoice. We should share in these things together because we are co-sharers of one another because of our common equal standing in Christ. So notice we are to be one anothering is a good phrase that Gene Getz likes to use. One anothering. Good series if you want to ever get a good Bible study on, on the body life. It says here, verse 6, since we have gifts that differ, and that's okay, Gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Now notice, why do our gifts differ? Our gifts differ because it's according to God's grace. God decides he is sovereignly bestowing upon the church who he wants to have what spiritual gift. 
Sometimes we see somebody else's spiritual gift and we get a little envious. Don't run into that temptation, please. Because the important thing about it is that God has endowed you with a special gift. He's graced you with a special gift to perform. And I promise you this, you will have maximum joy and you will experience elation in glorifying the Lord. When you discover what your spiritual gift is, when you are cultivating your spiritual gift, when you're exercising it within the body, when it's building up the body of Christ around you, you will be absolutely enamored with the fact that God is doing amazing spiritual things through you, of which he has sovereignly placed within you to do. It's all in his realm to do that. So let's not be envious of the gifts of others or kind of kick the can and ho-hum about we wish we had some other gift. Let's not do that. Let's be zealous about the fact that we've been given a gift and be all about that gift. Now, it says here, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Now, here is, here is where we get a little bit of trouble if we don't understand what's going on in the passage. In the Greek, there is not a definite article before the word prophecy or in verse 7 before the word service. A definite article is T-H-E, the. And so it's not signifying it as something in particular. Instead, what this does is it sets it up for categories. Now, if you remember back to our study in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, and if you want to write that down, you can go back to it again, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. You will notice there that two different categories of spiritual gifts were given. And that was speaking gifts and serving gifts. Well, it's the same here, except the word prophecy is used. It's speaking of speaking gifts. So prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. So in other words, if you have a gift in the category of prophecy, then you need to exercise it as God has gifted you in doing so. Verse seven, if service in his serving. Notice it says after that, or he who teaches. Now here we have something different, and this is what we looked at two weeks ago. Here we actually have the definite article, the, T-H-E, listed before this one and the ones that follow. And this is what's great about this. Whereas Peter referred to it generally, Paul wants to give you some examples of what he's talking about. So what we find is, is that for the one who teaches in his teaching, teaching, and the next one that we look at, verse 8, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, exhortation, exhorting, teaching and exhorting, those are both falling under the prophecy or the speaking category. They both have the definite article, but they fit underneath that prophecy category. So what I've done in my Bible is I've marked in blue prophecy, and then I've marked teaching and exhorting in blue. But in service in verse seven, I've marked that in an orange color because the next three gifts are part of the serving category. It says here, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So notice, teaching, exhorting, go under this under the heading of prophecy, and giving, leading, and mercy go under the heading of service. Now, this is, this is hopefully very helpful uh, to help you delineate what these differences are here. Uh, and what we're going to look at today is exhorting. Now, before we step into looking at exhortation, we need to do just a little bit of housekeeping. Number one, uh, the first thing I want to show you is our line designations for spiritual gifts. You should have a paper that says spiritual gifts inventory answer sheet. And the right-hand side of it is up on the screen right now. 
And what I want you to notice is, is it's got an A through L that's located down that side. The first five gifts are the speaking gifts. Notice we've got them bracketed. The bottom seven gifts are serving gifts. And if you've gone through this initially, you've probably scored a certain amount in these little uh, total marks here. And you're curious of what they are. Well, you'll know from a couple of weeks ago that C is teaching. Under the B category or the B heading there, I want you to write in exhortation. E-X-H-O-R-T-A-T-I-O-N, exhortation. I want you to fill that in there. And if you scored high in that particular category, this is for you today. Pay attention, please, because hopefully this will give you some discernment about this gift. Now, remember, the paper test is not foolproof. Um, it's just going down asking some questions to help take uh, what maybe you've already been doing in ministry or what you already see some of your inclinations are since you've become a believer in Christ. It's trying to put those in a way that is manageable, but they're not foolproof. You might say, you know what, this isn't me at all. And don't freak out about this because this is just an initial test. When we go through every one of these 12 spiritual gifts that are listed on here, uh, we're going to bring a lot more clarity to each one. And by doing so, I'm, I'm hoping that it gives you a greater discernment about where your spiritual gift lies and what it might particularly be. Now, real quick, when we deal with this passage in Romans uh, 12, and we see the idea of if service and is serving, if teaching and is teaching, those types of things, if exhorting and is exhortation. Here's what Paul gets at when he means this. And this is why we're going through each one of these. If God has given you this gift, then you need to occupy yourself all the time with that gift. You need to be all about that gift, pouring into that gift, learning more about that gift, cultivating that gift, looking for opportunities to dispense that gift. And you need to be all about it, be in to win kind of idea. Here's a reason why. If God has given you this gift, this is what he wants you being concerned with in the body of Christ while you're here on earth. And I think that we find that a lot of churches across the world will suffer greatly because they haven't taken time to consider spiritual gifts or become overzealous for gifts uh, that aren't particularly applicable to the church right now for the body of Christ and have gotten their focus off of what's really going on in, in, in being part of the body. And that is the building up of one another, the maturing of one another in the doctrine that we've been given by serving one another because of what we've heard and what we know so that we build ourselves up in love. That is God's earthly goal for the church. And that's back in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. Now, real quick, before we move forward, let's go through our, our awesome uh, graphic of our wheel so that we see these spiritual gifts for just a second. And I want to go through and, and just show you something real quick. We're dealing with exhortation today. We've already dealt with teaching. I want you to notice that preaching, exhortation, teaching, wisdom, and knowledge, those are the five speaking gifts. When you deal with faith, giving, mercy, helps, ruling, administration, and discernment, those are the serving gifts. And so hopefully that, that graphic will give you a little bit better understanding of where it is exactly that we're going and what we're dealing with. Now you might notice on there, there's not miracles, uh, there's not healing, there's not uh, the gift of tongues or the gift of interpretation of tongues. And we're going to deal with those at a later date. We're going to get to those. Don't worry about it. We are going to touch on them. We are going to unpack tongues pretty thoroughly and go through because it tends to create a lot of confusion in the church. 
Uh, but these are the 12 valid gifts today that are used within the body of Christ. So the question is, what is exhortation? If you have the gift of exhorting, you need to be all about it in your exhortation. Well, here's our first definition. We're going to look at both the verb usage and the noun usage. And this right here is the gift of exhortation being parakaleo. Now, parakaleo is an interesting word. We're going to see this in the, in the next one, paraklesis. Parakaleo is the verb is to ask to come and be present where the speaker is or to call to one side. Uh, it's almost like a camaraderie type of idea. Number two, to urge strongly or to appeal to, to urge someone or to exhort or to encourage. Uh, if, you'll, if you're familiar with uh, just in uh, chapter 12, verse 1 of Romans, I urge you, brethren, I exhort you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the exact same thing that he's using there. It's that same kind of, um, I don't know, just, just zealous appeal to move in a certain direction for the betterment of someone. Uh, to make a strong request for something, to request or implore or entreat. We also have uh, to instill someone with courage or cheer, to comfort them or to encourage them or to cheer them up or to treat someone in an inviting or congenial manner. And all of those right there um, kind of sum up this, this, this push of what it is to have a gift of exhortation. We also have a second word, uh, that we want to deal with in this. And this is the word periclesis. This is the noun form. And you're going to find some similarities here, but I want to show you some interesting way that they all connect together. First definition, an act of emboldening another in belief or a course of action, encouragement, or exhortation. Uh, there, there's something that you have about people want to get up and they don't want to stay still in those types of situations. They want to react and they want to get busy because of how you've approached them or how you've spoken into their lives. Number two, a strong request, an appeal, or a request to someone, or lifting another's spirits, or comforting, or consolation. Now, what's interesting about this is both parakaleo and paraklesis are related to another word. This word is the word parakletos. And this is interesting because it means called to one's aid in a judicial sense. But it's been used in John. Whenever Jesus is speaking to the 11 is the Holy Spirit. It's either designated in your translation, either as the helper or the comforter. Some translations might actually have the word advocate. It's also used of Jesus Christ and the word used as advocate in 1 John 2, 1. John decides to use it that way as well to speak of him. It's very interesting to see uh, that a lot of what surrounds these, these words are someone who will come alongside and will encourage you in a direction speak to you in a direction, uh, want to point you in a better direction, and, and it's, it's uh, akin to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the present ministry of Jesus Christ as our advocate regarding uh, sin that it might be presently in our lives. Now, we're going to move forward to this next part here, uh, and this information right here is by a man named Earl Rodmacher. Now, I know I brought him up a couple of weeks ago. He's actually the one who helped design this entire test, and let me give you a little bit of background about why we're paying so much attention to this. Earl Rodmacher was the president of Western Conservative Theological Seminary in Portland, Oregon, from 1964 until 1999, and he served as the president emeritus until he passed away. And um, during his time there in the 70s, he had some guys who were really at work because they, they found a lot of uh, things were coming out about 
spiritual gifts, but it all seemed to lean more towards a charismatic realm uh, that seemed to be more of an abuse of the gifts that weren't lining up very well with what the scriptures had to teach. And so he put some guys on it. And one guy in particular, I don't even know what his name was. He put on this in order to research all of these spiritual gifts and not just their usages within the New Testament, but also going to extra biblical material that would have been relevant at the New Testament time period of writing to figure out what kind of people that this would have signified who they are and, and how they operate those types of things. And so this has been a very labor intensive work. We're very, we're very blessed to have uh, the results of this. And that's why you should have these little pieces of paper with this particular information about the gift of exhortation lifted on it. So if you notice uh, the information that they've pulled together is the God given ability to draw alongside of someone in order to comfort, to encourage, to rebuke, and to lead into insight toward action. And yes, rebuking is part of the exhortation gift. Sometimes we don't like that because we have that hard K sound at the end. We seem to take particular offense to words that have a hard K sound at the end of them. They just strike us the wrong way. Well, the idea of rebuking is, is pointing out the wrong that someone has been doing and seeking to realign them with the scriptures in that. The gift of exhortation is the spirit working through you and all about how you go about approaching someone and doing that and caring for them to that point. Just because it's a rebuke for somebody committing sin and doing something wrong or being an ongoing sin doesn't mean it has to be done in a harsh manner, not by any means. Well, this gift of the spirit in particular helps with the situation. Now, there are certain qualities that make up a person like this. We have them listed. Number one, they're people-centered. Number two, they stick with people through thick and thin. They don't bail out easy. They see creative alternatives when facing problems. They're not easily deterred. They enjoy people, and they understand their feelings and attitudes. They can be confrontive without being offensive. It says they, they're comfortable in either groups or one-on-one settings. They're not easily discouraged, but they're persistent. They can see problems and struggles as an opportunity for growth. And they have a deep concern for people who are going through difficulties. Maybe this is you. Maybe you're going through this and you're like, man, this kind of resonates with me a lot. I'm, this is who I am. This is excellent. There, there's, there's, there's everything to be championed about this. If you're starting to recognize this might be your spiritual gift. Now, one thing I think is important to talk about before we dive into what the scriptures have to say about this particular gift is the fact of certain liabilities that come along with these spiritual gifts. Now, if you notice right here, these are all listed strengths, and these are really, really good things. Uh, nobody wants to take away from this whatsoever. It is a good thing to come alongside someone for comfort and encouraging and rebuking, but the idea is to get them more walking worthy with the Lord. But if you'll think back a little bit, or maybe you have this little piece of paper with you from a couple of weeks ago, well, we dealt with the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching and the gift of exhortation are both in the category of the speaking or prophecy gifts. But you're going to find that they have different strengths. And because of the different strengths that they have, they're each going to have their different liabilities. Like, for instance, the person who is gifted with teaching is going to have a very systematic approach. And they want to get the whole of the word of God in front of you in order so that you can see how this particular doctrine or subject all fits together. And they're going to be more word-centered type of people in their ministry. Well, that ends up being a strength that they have, but the liability that they have is they're not as people-centered as maybe would be helpful for communicating their information. The gift of exhortation has the exact opposite situation. Usually, they tend to be much more people-centered 
and what they're dealing with. And because of that, they forsake the knowledge of the word as much when speaking into people's lives. There needs to be a really healthy balance going on there. And if we recognize those liabilities, hopefully we can shore that up so it doesn't become as much of a pitfall in ministry situations. Um, Usually we have the person who's the teacher is going to be very careful in their study. Uh, They're going to be someone who is going to prefer a group setting so that they're reaching a whole lot of people at one time. That's not so with the the person of exhortation. person of exhortation is going to find something in in the word of God that really resonates or sticks with them and they understand it well. And they want to impart that encouragement to other people because that's where their source of encouragement comes from. It's from God's word through them to build up the other person. And so in doing so, they don't care if they're in a group setting or a one-on-one setting. In fact, I'll say this, it's the people with the spiritual gift of exhortation that make the best biblical counselors. Because if they know the word of God and they can sit down in a situation with someone who needs encouragement, needs to be built up, needs to be discipled in a, in a good, healthy direction, they have a way with the spirit of order in communicating doctrine to people's hearts where people want to respond to that and to get active for the Lord and to be obedient because of that. In fact, I found a a really good quote by Charles Ryrie on this that I think really sums this point up well. Ryrie says, if you suspect that you have the gift of exhortation, and and he brings up something very interesting we need to pay attention to. It's very discerning thought. Too often exercised as the gift of criticism. Then you need to know the scriptures well in order to exhort correctly, both in the content and spirit of the exhortation. Now, notice that he's emphasizing that one of the great pitfalls that happens is a is deficiency in the knowledge of the scriptures. The exhorter needs to know this. But I want to also point out something else. A lot of times people who have the gift of exhortation end up finding themselves being overly critical of other people. And it's usually because they're trying to hold them to a standard that they've established personally, not one that's established biblically. This this is a really good way to be discerning about whether or not you're operating in the flesh or in the spirit. If you're operating in the flesh, it's going to come out as criticism. You're going to rank yourself superior to another person. Uh, You may even shame them a little bit because of something that they're involved in. That is not to be part and parcel of the body of Christ whatsoever. But when you find somebody's walking in the spirit and operating in the spirit, what comes out is exhortation. It's not about shining the light necessarily on the pitfalls of the people, but shining the light on the restitution that the cross makes in every opportunity and gives them an opportunity to move forward in hope uh, and relief and, 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 a, and just in a better, a better fashion than they would have done otherwise. Uh, so it's very important to be able to delineate between that. You may have the spiritual gift of exhortation, but you notice that you're tending towards criticism. What that means is that you're walking in the flesh or you're being very immature in your faith. Uh, you're, you're like a carnal babe, like it says in, in 1 Corinthians 3. Instead, what we need to do is we need to grab hold of the word of God. Uh, we need to confess that sin before the Lord. And ask that he would use us as instruments of exhortation in order to pour to the body of the Christ for the building up. Now, let's walk through some of these things and, and, and see what we're going to find. The first place I want to go to is Acts chapter 4. If you would, turn with me over to Acts. Acts chapter 4. And Dave Field touched on this in his video just a little bit last week. I got a little nervous. The one thing I want us to see here is the vibrancy that makes up the body of Christ. 
um, leading into uh, our introduction to our, our, our character here that we're, we're going to pay attention to. So in chapter 4, verse 32, it says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. That's awesome. They were unified. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Notice how foundational that is to their message. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses, now that's serious, we're getting into real estate here, land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now, there's some people who looked at this and said, see, the early church advocated socialism. That's not what's going on here at all. This is not a situation that's being coerced out of people. This is people responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the Word of God, and they have this desire to give. The giving desire is cultivated in them. They're doing so freely of their own choice. This is a voluntary participation. It's not by coercion, and it's not that some law has been instituted where they're trying to take things away from people. Not at all. So notice, this is a very healthy way to handle uh, this, and it's something that really exemplifies the giving ministry of the church. Verse 36, now Joseph, a Levite, that's the tribe he belonged to, of Cyprian birth, which means he was from the island of Cyprus there in the Mediterranean. Uh, if you've got a map in the back, you'll, you'll find it very easily sitting there. But it just turned out that Cyprus actually had a pretty large Jewish population there. Well, that's where he's from. It says he was from Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. Barnabas was given this nickname by the apostles themselves. They designated this to him because his spiritual gift so radiated through him in building up people, comforting people, encouraging people, and probably even rebuking people. But he was a person who could get them going towards action. He could really rile them up and move them forward. He could get them looking at the word of God in such a way and understanding the heart of God in such a way as to where they wanted to respond in faithful obedience and to walk in a way that pleased the Lord. Man, how good would that be if we started just giving everyone nicknames around Grace Bible Church? depending on their spiritual gift that they had. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'd be scared that you'd probably call me teachy preachy or something like that. But there's some people that have uh, wonderful gifts of encouragement. Man, it'd be great to just call everybody Barnabas. We need more Barneys uh, in our church, more to, to, to step up and to help uh, encourage the body of Christ in that way. Notice that he owned a tract of land. He sold it and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He was part of this giving uh, drive that they were having that was going on. He was part of that. And we know that he did so encouragingly. So this is a really, really good person to pay attention to in his interactions with other people and how those things went. Turn over with me to the right to chapter 14, the same book. Chapter 14 in the same book, Acts 14. And in Acts 14, we're going to look at verses 19 through 23. We find a situation here with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, it's a pretty serious situation. They actually come in and they start uh, preaching um, the gospel in the region of Galatia, which is more up north. And in doing so, um, the people there start to get them 
they, they try to take what's going on with the gospel with Paul and Barnabas, and they try to plug them into their already formed system of multiple gods. And that just doesn't work. And so Paul and Barnabas tell them, no, no, don't do that. Stop it. We're nothing like that. We're just mere men. In doing that, that made the people mad, and they responded violently. So in verse 19, it says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Pay attention to those two places, because we're going to see it here again in just a second. And having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. How about that? That's pretty crazy. Talk about persecution for your faith. It says here, but while the disciples stood around him, he got up and he entered the city. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, so here, the next day, he went away to Barnabas, went away with Barnabas to Derby, And Derby, of course, is further on in the region of Galatia. Verse 21, after they had preached the gospel to that city, and it made many disciples. Now, notice what, it, what constituted their mission here. Preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, evangelism, and also building up or strengthening. That's discipleship. It says here, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium. That's what we saw earlier uh, in verse 19. And to Antioch. We also saw that in verse 19. They returned back to the cities that stoned Paul and dragged him out as if dead and left him for death. They returned back through there. Why? Verse 22 strengthening the souls of the disciples. Here it is, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Encouraging. That word is our word parakaleo. Encouraging them. Note the verbs that are going on here. Strengthening, encouraging. Notice, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Notice what they're doing. They're building up the body of Christ. And one of the ways that they're doing that is they're speaking encouragement in the situation. Now, obviously, Barnabas had a huge uh, part in this. This was his. This was his bread and butter ministry type thing. But what I want you to notice is is the direction of which he encourages them. He encourages them to continue in the faith through many tribulations. In other words, everybody's going to go through some hardships. We must enter the kingdom of God, and that is to have a rich entrance into the kingdom of God. He's speaking to believers, so we know this isn't dealing with justification. This is dealing with sanctification. This is dealing with Christian growth. We're going to go through hard times. And as we persevere and are encouraged through hard times, and we need those people of exhortation speaking into our life, in doing that, we successfully overcome those hard times, and that gives way to a rich entrance into the kingdom of heaven. This is a really, really important point for us to grasp onto. And notice verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Very, very important evidence into what exactly is the exhortation ministry. Now, let's look at something else here in verse 15, and then I want to make a point, or sorry, chapter 15. Turn with me over to chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 30 through 32. Now, what's important about this um, is that chapter 15 is a pivotal marker moment in the entire Bible. And it has to do with the idea of what constitutes the gospel and what must take place for someone to be saved. Acts 15 is what is known as the Jerusalem Council. In the Jerusalem Council, they came to the conclusion that you're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. So let's write a letter and let's tell everybody, you don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to do good works. You don't need to keep the law in order to be saved. It is by faith alone in Christ alone. But if you want to live a godly life, here are some things you can start uh, implementing into your life that will bring greater glory to Christ and will set you on a good path of sanctification. 
So they didn't mix up the issues there. They kept them very straight and they concluded upon faith alone. It's very important. So that leads us to the point where we start here in verse 30. It says, so when they were sent away, they were sent away from the Jerusalem council. They went down to Antioch. Now, if you remember, Antioch was a place we were dealing with back in 14 where all this bad stuff happened. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. So there's a public reading that goes on. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement, because of its paraclesis. It was an encouraging letter. It's an encouraging thing to know that you don't have to keep any kind of works, check off any lists, abide by any laws in order to be saved, that people are saved by faith and faith alone. And that's in the person Jesus Christ alone. Now, verse 32 is very interesting because you got two other brand new people who are brought into this. Judas and Silas also being prophets themselves. Now, that's interesting, and here's the reason why. The word prophets here is used in order to designate the spiritual gift of preaching uh, or, or, or what would be prophecy, speaking forth the word of God is what that actually means. So they have the gift of preaching. It says here they encouraged and strengthened. Notice how that's going on again. Encourage, parakaleo. So they obviously had a gift of encouragement that was going on there along with their gift of preaching. And they strengthened the brethren. Here it is, folks. Hold on to your hats. With a lengthy message. Yes, that's right. Sometimes we need lengthy messages to strengthen and encourage us and build us up. And people have been given the gift of preaching in order to do that within the body. It's not a bad thing. It's a really, really good thing. More Jesus never hurt anybody. So notice here, it's still moving towards the same direction, strengthening, encouraging, strengthening, encouraging. Now, here's an important point that I want to make before we transition to the next part. Notice that in this situation right here, we are dealing with moving towards a goal. We're dealing with moving towards an end of the idea of greater faithfulness towards the Lord, cultivating greater intimacy with the Lord, walking worthy of the calling which with we've been called. Uh, being strengthened in our faith. Notice that what encouragement and exhortation is not, is it's not telling someone that they're looking really great because they just got their hair done or because their nails uh, have just been manicured or the idea that their Mustang is looking extra shiny today or anything like that. It has nothing to do with any of those things whatsoever. It's never focused in on the person because that resorts into self-esteem that has been divorced from Christ. Christ is the difference maker. He is the focal point of what it is to be truly encouraging people with the spiritual gift of exhortation. If it comes upon anything else, you're just trying to brown nose or gain favors or, or, or what have you with people, and that is all fleshly. It has nothing to do with the body of Christ whatsoever. God himself is not even a respecter of persons, and the reason is is because the focus in the church is never to be upon persons. It's to be on the person of Jesus Christ. So that's a very important point that I want you to understand. Now, we want to transition here to 2 Corinthians. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians. And we're going to go to, to chapter 1, 2 Corinthians 1, because this is going to give us just a little bit different flavor of how these words are used and what the ministry of exhortation is. Now, starting in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 7, we're going to find 10 times that this word comfort is used. And each time, you're either dealing with paraclesis or paracaleo, either one of them going through. 
but 10 times it's brought up. And I want you to see how this works itself out, because this is an integral part of what it is for someone who has a spiritual gift of exhortation. It says here, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. God is the God of all comfort. Now watch this. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You say, oh, good grief. What in the world just happened? That's a lot of lot of comfort. Well, notice how it happens. The believer finds himself in a hardship or in an affliction. The Lord is the one who comes along and he comforts us. How does he comfort us? He comforts us through his word. He comforts us through the presence of his spirit. He comforts us through the body of Christ, uh, extending, giving, loving, uh, sharing, building up, praying, all those things. The body of Christ is very integral in being used by God for the betterment and the health of the body. All of these things are pointing to an end of even though the person might be going through the affliction, they were able to bear it because of the hope that is being imparted to them by the Lord himself through various means. Well, notice what it says in respect to that. He is able to comfort us in any affliction that we have so that we can turn around and we can comfort others in the way that we've been comforted from God. In other words, it has a reciprocal effect. The body finds opportunity uh, to be comforted through the experience, if they're experiencing the same types of sufferings that go on. Well, when that happens, it rolls itself over to comfort the rest of the body. Notice in verse five, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, it's going to happen. Bad times are going to come. All who seek to live godly uh, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted for their faith. It's going to happen at some point, but it's a worthy persecution. He says, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Don't let the affliction overshadow you. The comfort is great. The problem is, is when the affliction becomes uh, what we deem too much, we bail out and we forsake it and we jump ship. We never get a chance to experience the comfort. There's great comfort to be had in allowing for our brothers and sisters to exercise their gift of exhortation in our lives during those times. Verse six, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Now, does that mean that they're going to go to heaven when they die because they're afflicted? No, it's talking about present tense salvation saving them from the power of sin. Let's be honest. A lot of times in affliction, we're tempted to sin to get out of it. We come up with some sin solution and we think that that's going to be the perfect answer so that we're no longer dealing with an inconvenience in our life. No, no, no. Don't make that mistake. You are robbing yourself of the producing work that God wants to do in you of creating steadfastness so that we'll be complete and lacking in nothing. We don't want to rob him of that opportunity. Instead of that affliction, know that he's also going to supply a comfort. And notice also that if we are comforted, it's going to be for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. No matter the degree of affliction or suffering that we experience, God is going to give us an equal and abounding measure of comfort. We must trust his word in that situation. Notice he says in verse 7, and our hope for you is firmly grounded knowing that as you are shares of our suffering, so also your shares of our comforting. If you're sharing in the affliction, know that comfort is coming your way. They're hand in hand. They work together through the body of Christ, the exercise of this wonderful spiritual gift. Now, I want to move to another uh, book real quick, and then we're going to look at something pretty interesting. Uh, if, if you would move over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2.
First Thessalonians chapter two. And just to give you a little outline here, verses seven through 11 in chapter two deal with the qualities of, of an ideal ministry. If you want to know what an excellent ministry looks like, verses seven through 11 are going to hit it. We're not going to cover all that. But then it gives way to verse 12, which shows the fruit of that ministry. And, and so I want to start in verse nine and take a look here. He says, for you were called brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now remember, Paul was a tent maker by trade. He decided to take that up as a full-time job so that he wasn't pulling from any of the resources of the people that he was ministering to. And they could say, well, the only reason why you're preaching is so that you can eat. The only reason why you're preaching is so that you can sleep here in my house. None of that type of stuff. He wanted to remove all stumbling blocks and all accusations of falsely using his position so that the gospel would be front and center. Notice he says here, verse 10, you are my witnesses and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. In other words, their conduct was impeccable while they were ministering. Just as you know how we were exhorting, there's your word, parakaleo. They were urging, imploring, entreating. They're exhorting and were encouraging. That Greek word means to console or to cheer someone. It says, and imploring each of you as a father would his own children. And that word imploring there, to urge in a matter of great importance. Think about what it is when you as a parent uh, you know that your child has a has a decision to make, and you're really pulling for them to make the right decision. You're trying to encourage them and give them every reason in the world uh, about why this is a good decision. It may not be the easiest decision. It may not be the most fun decision, but it's the best decision. You know the character that it's going to build. You know that the uh, decision-making will develop because of this situation, or that they'll come out ahead in the end. They'll actually experience more because of it. It's the same type of longing in this situation that this exhorting and encouraging and imploring takes place. But here's the question, to what? To what end? This is where verse 12 becomes important because it gives us more of an understanding of the gift of exhortation in which direction it's to go. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. It all moves to the element of walking a worthy walk. This is the direction of the person who has the gift of exhortation. This is where the speech is to lead the person to that they're ministering to. It all has to go with a more faithful walk to the Lord. Now, I will say this. Having COVID is terrible. Um, I don't recommend it to anybody. It's not as bad as the flu. Uh, the flu is the devil's disease. Uh, but this right here isn't, isn't, too, uh, isn't too bad, but it's not good. But one thing that this did do was it allowed me a little bit more time to dig in to the scriptures and to pay a little bit more attention to some things I was seeing regarding encouraging. And one of the things that, that I, I, and it's weird because I knew this and it just didn't come to my mind. I actually had it written down in the very front of my Bible where this book starts. The book of Hebrews is nothing but a book about exhortation and encouragement, all of it, the entire thing. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but we know that they have the spiritual gift of exhortation. So I just want to show you some things real quick and then we'll close. If you would, turn to the book of Hebrews and go to the very last chapter, chapter 13. The very last chapter, 13. He, he gives us some very interesting, he gives us a very interesting verse here um, that, that sums up the, the full extent of his 13 chapters here, or what he was trying to get across. And look at verse 22. 
in chapter 13, he says, but I urge you. Now, that's very interesting because that word is parakaleo, exhorting. I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. Now, a couple of things here are very important to see about this verse. Number one, notice the fact that he's urging them. So it's the whole idea of using that spiritual gift to to get them to pay attention to this. Brethren, he's writing to people who are already believers. He says here to bear with this word of exhortation. Notice he designates it as a word of exhortation. This entire book in the Bible is to encourage them and and to draw alongside them and to comfort them and, and to rebuke them even in some situations. There's five warning passages here. And they give them warnings of not listening to him uh, and responding with faithful action. Uh, it's very interesting to see. But this word also here that says bear with this word means to submit to something that is difficult. That's what the Greek word means. It, it means to submit yourself to this, even though it's hard to ask it of you, it's the best thing for you. And this is something that people with the gift of exhortation are trying to do. Greater realms of faithfulness. Now, how did, how did the, the author of Hebrews do this? And maybe this will give some insight to us uh, about how do you exercise this gift of exhortation? Uh, I want to give you some scripture references because we're not going to cover them all, but I want to give you some scripture references. Let me give these to you. If you wouldn't mind to write them down, you can just look at them later if you wish, but I think they'd be helpful to you for like a devotional thing. Uh, in Hebrews chapter four, verses one, verse 11, verse 14, and verse 16. So let me give them to you again in chapter four, verses one, 11, 14, and 16. And then also in chapter 13, verses 13 and verses 15. In chapter 13, verses 13 and 15. We're going to deal with the other ones here in just a second. But these are very interesting because I call them lettuce passages. Um, and, And the reason is because in every one of them, when he moves to make an exhortation in light of what he's just said, and you'd have to read the surrounding context. But the way that he goes about doing this is he says, then let us do this. Let us be involved in this way. Let us respond in this way. Let us move forward like this. And so I want us to see some instances of that. If you would, turn back with me to chapter six. We're just going to look at a couple of instances of this. In Hebrews six. Hebrews six is one of those uh, inconvenient chapter beginners, because remember, the originals didn't have chapter number, verse number. And so this big number six that just pops itself right in the middle could cause your mind to make a break, and you don't want to do that. Now, we've covered this previously, but at the end of five, we find that he's developing a point, and he wants to talk to them about the ministry of Melchizedek. And then he makes an interesting statement that says they can't handle it because they've become dull in their hearing. They've become slothful and slow in their hearing. And the problem is, is by this time in their salvation, they should have already been teachers to other people. But what this author was finding out was that they actually need to be taught again. So they were partaking only of milk. Milk is all 66 books of the word of God taking in that knowledge. That's the milk of the word. The meat of the word is applying that word to our being so that we are now making decisions and living life in light of the truth of God's word. That is having our our discernment trained according to the word of God to know good and evil. And so he says something in very uh, in, in chapter six, verse one, it's very interesting. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us, there's our let us uh, exhortation, press on to maturity. The goal of the exhorter here is to get spiritual growth happening. 
Notice he says, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. And then he goes on in verse two to give you instructions of washing, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Those were all considered basic elementary teachings that somebody in the word of God, somebody that was a Christian needed to know. Notice what he's saying here. Let's press on to maturity. Let's move forward. Let's go on. Let's develop this. Let's apply this to our lives so that we're living differently and faithfully. There's a good lettuce chapter. Let's turn over to chapter 10. Move over with me to chapter 10. We're going to find that 22, 23, and 24 in chapter 10 each have lettuce exhortations. Notice the first thing he says here is, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. That's a good exhortation. Get, get, get near. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. That's the way it works in a believing relationship. Verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Don't forsake the word of God. Hold fast to it. Notice he says, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast to God's word. Notice it says also, verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Or your your Bible might say provoke or stir up or motivate one another to love and to good deeds. Notice all of these here are about propelling the body forward. The person who exercises the spiritual gift of exhortation is seeking to propel the body of Christ forward forward. That's the thing. Now about a couple more here. Chapter 12, look over chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1 occurs after chapter 11. Chapter 11 is the great hall of faith chapter, and it's everyone uh, in the Old Testament, or not everyone, uh, but it's a ton of people in the Old Testament who, because they believe what God told them to be the truth, they lived their lives in light of that truth, and they held fast to that truth and how they made decisions, what they did, where they went all of that stuff. It dictated their life. That's the idea of the exhorter here is to get us to that point in the body of Christ. So because of all that, chapter 12, verse one says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that's that's uh, chapter 11, let us, there's your lettuce exhortation, also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Do you see something that's sinful in your life right now? It's keeping you from intimacy and faithfulness with God. Throw it aside, cast it overboard, get rid of it, toss it down the stairs, never to come back again. We've got to remove it out of the way. Notice this is the exhortation. Let us do this. And then he gives another one. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Keep going, press on, don't give up. Let us keep the race. Let us finish well. Let us be victorious at the end, propelling us towards intimacy and Christ-likeness in every aspect of our lives. One more, and then we'll wrap it up. Same chapter, but look over at verse 28. Chapter 12, verse 28. He says here in verse 28, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Now we know that, right? You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Whoever hears the gospel believes is born again at that moment. So notice for believers, we have a, we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us, there's your lettuce exhortation, show gratitude by which we offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and all. In other words, notice that the exhorter embraces the attitude of the believer that he's ministering to here. Let's make sure that we're grateful for what we have. We offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and all. It's about coming to him and worship with the right attitude, fearing him properly, 
fearing him not just with a holy reverence, but fearing him as the almighty God and creator of all things. The fact that he is the preeminent one. Notice that the encouragement is towards greater depths of worship. Grace Bible Church needs exhorters. If this is something where you've looked at this, you said, you know, some of this has resonated with me today. Excellent. Fantastic. That's probably the spirit being provoked inside your heart by the word of God saying you have the spiritual gift of exhortation and it needs to be cultivated. And these spiritual gifts, uh, sorry, these passages that we went over need to be looked at over and over again and really just dilute yourself in those so that they begin to, to really flood your heart and your mind with what exactly God has called and exhorted to do. And that is to help encourage and lead the body of Christ into greater faithfulness. In fact, I want to I want to end with this quote by John Walvard. He was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary for years. He's a prophecy expert. And he says here, as a part of the work of preaching, exhortation fills an important place. Now, what I think he means by that is in that category of preaching, in that category of the speaking or prophecy gifts, the speaking forth the word of God gifts, exhortation has a very important place. The body of Christ needs the speaking gift. It says differing from teaching and that it's an appeal for action. Exhortation is the practical aspect of a preaching ministry. Some are given special gift in this work, enabling them to lead Christians into the active realization of the will of God. Man, what if that was happening vibrantly here at Grace Bible Church? I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't have the spiritual gift of exhortation. Uh, I know that because I tell people what they need to be doing all the time for the word of God. They don't do it. So, <laughs> but but I, I try to line it out for them because I have the gift of teaching and I have the gift of preaching. That's what I have. But we need exhorters to step up to the plate. We need exhorters to, to be encouraging those who are either wayward in sin or those who are uh, in a bad situation or, or experiencing affliction or whatever it is. And by speaking into their lives, leading them into greater realms of faithfulness to the Lord leading them into greater opportunities to develop their intimacy with the Lord. How important and how precious it is to have that gift uh, resonating within the body of Christ. It's absolutely indispensable. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for our time in the word today. I pray, Lord, that if our hearts have been provoked uh, by looking at these passages regarding exhortation within the body, or give clarity to us in that. I pray, Lord, that we would recognize that we need to start dispensing that gift and, and dispensing it well. We need to start speaking, building up, encouraging, rebuking in the body of Christ, that we would walk in a manner that is worthy, that we have greater experiences of worship, that we would find massive comfort uh, of a supernatural way that can only come about because of this spiritual gift of exhortation. Father, this might not be our spiritual gift, but how important it is that we pay attention to it because we can help others identify that in their lives if they're not seeing it. Lord, we need one another. We're thankful, God, that you've set us up in a position of one another. And because it's in Christ, it can never be broken. We thank you for the power of his gospel to save us from death, to save us from the power of sin, but also to endow us, Lord, with amazing gifts that we can use for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.